Smith and Jones on a Monday morning. Eric Smith, Paul Jones with you. Busy weekend. Busy weekend for the Toronto Raptors, for Canada basketball, for the sports world in general. Lots to dive into on a Monday morning. There's always a lot to dive into on a Monday morning. We will keep you uh, we'll keep you company for the next couple of hours. Make sure you subscribe to Smith & Jones wherever you get your podcast. Please rate and review as well. And Jonesy, let's dive into it. Let's dive into it. And I mean, you dove into it uh, firsthand for the first time in almost two years as well, having to hop on a plane to get down to Atlanta, uh, subbing in for our, our friends, our compadre, our colleague, Matt Devlin, who is uh, sidelined uh, with COVID right now. I was actually texting with Matty D on the weekend, spoke to him on the weekend as well. He's doing well and uh, and feeling fine and 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 uh raring to get back and i don't know maybe maybe there's just a tiny little piece of him i'm not i'm not speaking for him but a tiny little piece of him thinking hmm maybe it was all right that i missed friday's game and saturday's game because those were not pretty for the toronto raptors and and the one thing i will say and actually say this i think um lovingly glowingly to some extent because we've referenced many times how we've been around for a long time and going back. You, you just talked about it late last week, doing the rap, doing our post-game show from Lord Stanley's Mug at Then Air Canada Centre and doing it from the, the fishbowl, you know, aquarium, basically glass behind the window at Real Sports Apparel before it became Sport Check and we had people mooning us in the window and, and everything else. We've seen a lot of rough seasons. We've seen a lot of, a lot of bad times. And part of what makes a fan a fan is riding those highs and those lows and getting way too high for the highs and getting way too low for the lows and the sky is falling, the world is ending. And I'll tell you, I actually almost appreciate the fact that there are some, I don't know if it's many, I don't know if it's a few, but there are some in the Raptor fan base that have become pure chicken little after the last two games. The sky is falling, this team is terrible, they're going nowhere, we're going to fall to 11th or 12th, playoffs aren't happening, play-in's not happening, what in the holy hell is happening, and maybe you can settle things. With all that said, the last two games have been ugly, and there is some cause for concern with not only the way they've lost, but the fact that they're not healthy right now, and that could be a major factor when you're looking at the final 20, 23-odd games. Well, look, look at the good news if you're the Toronto Raptors. You could be the L.A. Lakers talking back to the fans. and <laughs> I was going to bring that up later. I was going to get yeah, to that. Yeah. We'll get to that. We'll get to that. But it is, it is a bit of a concern. I mean, a couple of people hit me up on Twitter and said, uh, Jonesy, we've heard you and Eric and your 10-10-62. Um, is this a blip? Or... Like, did we have two of those 10 in a row, or is there something going on? And, and there's part of me that says I won't, I won't uh, turn a blind eye to they need to turn things around. Uh, you got to remember Saturday was the second night of the back-to-back, and they were in it for a half before a great player in Trey Young got going and really made it difficult for them. Um, and they're not 100% healthy. Uh, you know, Fred went over early to see if he could give it a go. And, um, you know, I thought he played okay, but there's no OG Ananobi. They're going to they're gonna have some challenges for a while. And the problem is it's the teams behind them that they're playing right now that have beaten them, both Charlotte and Atlanta. And then tonight and tomorrow night, it's Brooklyn. So you got to find a way to try and stave them off. 
uh, you know, find find a way to cobble some wins together so you can keep keep them behind you. But um, I, I, there's a little concern, but at the same time, everybody's going through. Everybody goes through their struggles. So if you're the Raptors, just keep your head down, stick to your culture and your character, playing hard, and see what happens. Well, here, here's my assessment of things too. I don't, I don't disagree with anything you just said, Jonesy. Um, it, when we talk about the ten, ten, sixty-two, I was ready to write off Friday as as part of the the ten, the ten bad ones. It's the first game back after the uh, the All Star break. You got guys coming in from all over the place. And listen, you could use that excuse or that fact factor for any team in the league. And well, fifteen are going to be winners and fifteen are going to be losers. If you just do the math, right? Thirty teams. Uh, so how come the fifteen that win aren't impacted by the All Star break? I get that other side of the argument, but I think it was the way in which it went down, where it wasn't really even close. Uh, at any point, arguably, on Friday. It was just a rough go from the get-go and unable to recover. So I was ready to chalk that one up. Somebody wrote me, I think it was our guy Bob, on, on Saturday after the Raptors lost again. And I don't know if he was saying that like seriously or if he was kind of trying to jab at, at, at you or me or both of us or whatever. Well, how do, how do we assess that one and chalk that one up? And I simply said, that's part of the 62. Like, that's a loss. The other one, I'd say Friday, again, based on how they lost, based on how they were never in it, just came out flat and really just were buried early. Toronto was in that game on, on, on Saturday, though, right? Like, it turned out to be super ugly, and it unraveled second quarters going into the half, and the second half certainly wasn't pretty. But early on, they were fighting. They were battling. They had a lead. They gave up the lead. Then it was back and forth, back and forth before Atlanta started to kind of pull away or at least stretch the lead a little bit more going towards the half and certainly dominated the second half. So I split those two up into different categories. I think Friday was part of the 10. Friday was the, the, the blip, in a sense, the, the team that we didn't necessarily recognize. I think Saturday was a loss. Saturday was a game that you came out playing well, you showed some fight, and as the game went on, was it the fatigue of a back-to-back? Was it Pascal not being 100% and his fatigue setting in? Was it the fatigue of Fred and the knee and whatever else not being 100%? The absence, again, for a second straight night of OG Ananobi. Was it Trey Young just kind of doing what he would and what he could? And was it part of that because of Fred's health or because Trey was just on a heater that night and just going for it? So I think there were a lot of contributing factors to Saturday in that that was a loss. That's part of the 62 so now it's about, all right, which team comes out on the floor in tonight's game? Which team comes out tomorrow in front of the fans for the first time in basically two months or more with, I would assume, a sellout crowd? Which team responds then, right? Like, I don't know if you agree with that, but I'm, I'm putting Friday in a different category than Saturday. And, and that's what I said off the, begin, off the jump. Yeah. We, we might have seen two of the ten, but... Maybe not. Like, and look, I, can, I could see Saturday's game as one of those on the second night of back-to-backs. What happens when we say that, right? The classic back-to-back is you're okay, you start the game well, you're doing okay, and then for some reason you sit at halftime and your legs just get become like two tree stumps and you got nothing in the second half. And that's, I mean, Atlanta started to pull away. at the, They finished the half strong, and then the second half it was... I mean, the run in the third quarter, that was it. And, and to me, that's the classic back-to-back. So, yeah, it's, it's one of the 62. And 
it's it's time for this team to find itself and bounce back. They're very capable. And as I said, every team goes through its its ups and downs. Uh, it's you know, it's highs and lows in the season. Uh, it's just hey, maybe it's maybe it's their time. But again, you depend on, as I say, you depend on your culture. You you depend on your resiliency and how you've played. So uh, for the most, like, and that and that's the other thing I said. Those two games. Do you characterize the team over those two games or the first, I don't know, 57 or whatever they've had before that? And, and th- that team that played in those two games was not the same team that played up until the All-Star break. So they've got to, they can, they, it's been done before. They can find it. It's, t- it's time to get it back. It really is. Well, and the good thing for the Raptors, and you touched on this a little bit briefly earlier, the good thing, even though teams made up ground, and the, the 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 bulge isn't looking as big in terms of seven to eight to nine to ten. They didn't really come out of this banged up too badly. Now again, we I know we spoke about this, if not last week, the week before, or maybe both weeks, because we've referenced it a few times. You can't have extended streaks. I believe you and I both even said two's the max. You might lose a couple in a row, but you can't ex- afford three, four, five. So you know what? It's imperative that you go out with a different result and a different outcome tonight, especially when you factor in that, hey, the super uber importance of this game, the fact you lose, it's the team that's right behind you. They're going to move up, boom, and be even with you. The Brooklyn Nets coming in a game back of the Raptors. But the reason I bring this up, Jonesy, look at the standings going into the weekend, now coming out of the weekend. Hasn't changed. Raptors still in seven. Nets still in eight. Hornets still in nine. Hawks still in 10. You've got a three-and-a-half game lead over both the Hornets and the Hawks, a game lead on the Nets. You're two back of the Celtics, and they're coming off a loss as well, and the Bucks have dropped two straight. You're only three back of the Bucks for that fifth seed. So as bad as Friday and Saturday were, and this isn't even me trying to find positivity and being Mr. Optimus. I'm being Mr. Realist here. Friday and Saturday were not good, but it really didn't bite you. So take that as a positive as well. And I'm saying from a Raptors standpoint, not even the fans. Forget the fans for a second. From a Raptors standpoint, you've got to be able to go into the locker room or into practice and go, you know what? We were awful, and it really didn't bite us. So you know what? Let's go. Let's go. We can't afford that again. The key to all of this, though, and you're not going to have the answer to this. I'm not going to have the answer to this. The health. Like, I'm not concerned about Pascal. Everybody feels banged up and gets sick and whatever. It's going to take you a couple of days to to be right. Fine. But with OG Ananobi uh, getting that finger looked at, I believe, either yesterday or today, uh, and getting that second opinion in New York while the team's getting set for that Nets game, what's the status going to be for him? Is he going to be allowed to play through this fractured finger, or will he be sidelined? Will he need surgery? I don't know. We're going to find that out, I would assume, at some point today. And then the the groin and or the knee with Fred, how much is that an issue? How much, Jonesy, you sat there, you had a perch, a little bird's eye view being in the building on Saturday. How much do you think the knee and the lack of lateral movement was an issue helping contribute to Trey Young just getting everywhere and everywhere, anywhere, excuse me, and everywhere uh, against the Raptors on Saturday? Because that's a concern, I would say, even more so than OG and Pascal, you know, feeling kind of fluish or whatever. If Fred's not right and not right for a while, I mean, that's, that's, that's your point guard. That's your anchor. That's your leader. That could be a big-time issue. And, that, and that's the problem. Your defense starts 
uh, with, you know, guarding the ball. It starts with, you know, disrupting the other team and their point guard. And Fred, listen, Fred could have been in years past, and he's, you know, again, the, the voters, and we've talked about this, he, he could be all defense. I mean, he's always up there in deflections. He's tough. I mean, he and Kyle basically played together at times. And people said, well, how can Toronto play the, those those three guys when they had, remember when they had Powell, Van Vliet, and, and Lowry on the floor? They're all undersized. Yeah, but it's not how big you are, it's how big you play. And Fred plays bigger than his size. But he's got to be healthy to do that. And E, to your point, look, anybody who's played can tell you, you know where you're going on offense and you can orchestrate your cuts and your moves if you have a knee or an ankle or a hip or something. But the real challenge comes on defense. When you sit in your stance and you have to react, if you're not 100% healthy, it's very difficult. And I think that that was that might have been part of the problem. But then again, E, that's Trey Young. That's not you know that's not Paul Jones he's trying to guard that's not that's not the guy in the, uh, at the Y on Saturday that is an elite ball handler um who by the way still carries the ball on every dribble or every other dribble um <laughs> and he's he's tough he's tough and he's an all-star and don't think he doesn't get gassed up to play against a guy like Fred who's an all-star or a team like Toronto who they are trailing in the standings so I mean, to me, Fred looked, I, I could tell he wasn't 100%. Um, you know, and I, to be honest, Eric, I'll go back to before the break. Uh, some of the games before the break, he looked he looked a little stiff-legged, you know, on some of the runs. It took him a while to, you could tell it was bothering him. It took him a while at the start of games just to kind of loosen it up and get going. But, you know, once once you get going, you're fine. I think this is something that will probably nag him the rest of the year. Right, and and if you can get him some rest here and there, great, and not not uh, wear him down at practice, that that's great too. But I don't I don't see this going away in in a, in a hundred percent in a complete fashion. It may get better, but the only thing that's going to make it you know perfect or get it back to where he can be a hundred percent is the rest over the course of uh, a, an off season. So. He's just going to have to kind of learn to live with it and play with it. And we know Fred, that's his demeanor. That's his, you know, deportment. That's fine. All right, my knee's not 100%, but let's get after it and let's do what we can do. So um, it'll, it'll be interesting tonight to see how they bounce back and, and you know, see how Fred, how Fred handles things when he gets out there. It, uh, I, I'd like to, I'm not going to say it's a must win, but these next two games are really important. And when you think about it, and who's not playing for the Nets, the, the, Toronto's got to really try to get these two. Mm-hmm. Well, listen, I, I mean, I don't know, Jonesy, it probably sounds like a Captain Obvious statement to some degree. If you don't want to call tonight a must-win, that's fine. But over the next two, one of the two are a must-win, period, right? Like, you can't afford to lose both. So so if, if tonight's not a must-win, well, then tomorrow is. You can't go 0-2. You, at the very least, bare minimum, this has to be a split. That's fair to say, right? Totally agree. Let's see what they have, E. You know, it's, it's uh, you know, these are times in the season, you know, we talk about... Um, things that 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 turn it around 
uh, or that you know turn your season the other way. I mean, we're gonna we're gonna we may look back at this stretch as something that the Raptors use as a catapult or use. <laughs> You know, uses uh, look back at something that that they say this is where it it, it started to unravel. Let's hope not. I thought you were going to say a catapult or a noose. Which one was it? <laughs> at the end oh, of the day, oh, Hope, I'm, hopefully, I'm staying away from that one. Hopefully, it's not. I don't think it will be because again, and that's that's where I say the, the the chicken little aspect of. Hold on a second. The last two were not pretty. You hope that it gets back on track tonight. No doubt about that. But at the same time, if there's an extended streak, you just have to continue to look at the standings. And as long as you're not impacted too badly in the standings overall, then I think that you can say, all right, we weathered that storm. And you keep looking at that loss column, which I know you love to do. The loss column right now is even with the Celtics. And the loss column, there's only a two-game differential with the Milwaukee Bucks. You're up two in the loss column, and I mean that in a positive sense, in that Brooklyn's got two more, the Hornets have five more, and the Hawks have four more. So to your point, and you like to hammer that home all the time, about the losses, the Raptors have not been bitten too badly thus far in spite of how the last two games have gone. So that's the the positive, but also the realistic look at how these last two games have gone for the Raptors and the impact overall or lack thereof. Trying to get back on track tonight, though, and of course the game tonight against the Brooklyn Knights in, uh, did I say Brooklyn Knights? Brooklyn Nets. Uh, tonight in Brooklyn, and then the uh, home at home as the Raptors will be back at Scotiabank Arena tomorrow to host the same Brooklyn Nets team. We'll talk more about that tomorrow, Jonesy, but just quickly. Yeah. Um, it's going to be fun to have the fans back tomorrow. Oh, it, it, you know, it was interesting in Atlanta on Saturday night, our guy who writes for NBA.com, former writer for the, uh, for the, uh, for the New York papers, Sean Powell was there. And Sean's a terrific dude. Um, if people, by the way, haven't read his story about his, how his brother uh, perished in 9-11, uh, you, you want to read a heart-wrenching story, um, go back and read that. But Sean said to me, he said, I'm, I'm writing some stuff. He goes, what's it like playing with no fans in the building? And I said, Sean, ever go to practice and have like the starters against the, the second unit? and three or four extra guys on the side that are responsible for the towels. And, you know, they, they're two guys are on one team and two guys are on the other team and they're the losing team has to run. And, and you're, you're getting all the support from the two or three guys that are waiting to sub in. I said, that's what it's like. He said, but I saw you had some people. I said, I counted one night when Eric and I were doing the broadcast, 61 people in a 20,000 seat arena. They're, they're, they're not giving you much energy. I mean, the game ops pumped in the same stuff. Herbie Kuhn and Mark Strong were, were crooning like they were introducing to a full house on, it, on, the, on its feet. But Sean, there were 61 people there and it, it's tough. It was tough. I said, and it impacted everything. It impacted the, the energy from the Raptors. It impacted the officials. It impacted... Uh, opposing players, um, opposing coaches because of their reactions to the crowd when the Raptors have it going and the crowd is on it, on its feet. I said all those things. I said it's it's you're in your home arena, but there's no advantage. And he rightfully pointed out. He said, "Well, you know, some teams didn't bring all their guys because they were afraid of getting caught with you know COVID in Canada and the stricter rules." Like, well, 
the Raptors are playing by those rules, not just coming in and out. So we had, we had quite the discussion, and he said, man, it's a shame that that building isn't full. I said, oh, it will be next week, though. And he, I, I'm hoping, Eric, that the fans can give the, give the team a little bit of a lift because it is, it is one of the great uh, crowds, one of the great buildings when it's full. Interesting to talk to some people who are new in the league and, and, you know, making their rounds, you know, going to places like New Orleans and saying, are they under restrictions here? Because there's nobody here. No, they're not. And, <laughs> and you know, we, I, I pulled out our line E from the other night in Atlanta. I mean, we'd go there and I saw our man, John Kramer, our engineer, who's, and he was asking, he says, where's Eric? I said, no, I'm just here on, on special assignment, Agent Jones. Eric's, Eric's back at home, and I'll be back at home with him on Tuesday night. But, you know, we would say, right, in Atlanta, good sections. You know, they, what, good sections still available. Never mind good seats. You can get a whole section, you know, or as, <laughs> as it was once said, you know, people call and say, what time's a game? You say, I don't know. What time can you get here? Like, it's, it, it's, not, it's not like that anymore in Atlanta. They had a really raucous crowd, and the Hawks are fun to watch, and they've got crowds now. And I'm just hoping that when we get back tomorrow night, it'll be the same thing in Toronto, man. Bring it on. Scotiabank Arena, folks, bring your stuff, man. Bring your, bring your ish. <laughs> bring your ish. <laughs> Uh, all right, to put the bow on the Raptors and everything we've been talking about with the Raptors, uh, and we mentioned quite a bit, Fred Van Vliet as well. Here's Freddie uh, chatting about the, the, the weekend, Friday, Saturday, and just uh, the overreaction, perhaps, that seems to be out there right now. You guys can overreact and write whatever you want. I really don't care. Um, if we win these last two games, like the narrative and the story would be completely different. So we come out, we play like ass and and everybody wants to jump to conclusions and try to make deep dives and break down what went wrong and who did what and I shouldn't have played in the all-star game and Pascal was on vacation like it is what it is man it's all-star break it's in the middle of the season we didn't come out of the gate performing like we wanted to so write what you will I, I believe in this team I think we'll be back playing at the level that we need to be playing at um hopefully sooner than later and I take full responsibility for the poor performances, and I'm looking forward to getting this team back to where we need to be. The only thing I will say to that, and I, Jonesy, you can agree, disagree otherwise, I got all the time in the world for Fred. I love his honesty. I love that he's right there front and center after every single game, win or loss. But he pretty much answered his own question or his own narrative the longer that answer went on. Because he started off by saying, oh, you can write whatever you want and the narrative would be different if we won. Well, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's kind of obvious, isn't it? If you won the games, the narrative would be absolutely different. Maybe there'd be a line or two in there, but hey, they didn't look great, but they still got the win, so kudos to them. But of course the narrative's going to be different if you lose and you get blown out in two straight games as opposed to if you win and blow out your opponent two straight games. Of course the narrative's going to be different. But as he continued to talk, he essentially acknowledged his own words we played like ass, and they need to be better. And that's pretty much what the fans and media were talking about, which hits his first point of, you guys are going to write what you want and say what you will. Well, you just said it yourself as well. Team did not play well, but I totally respect the honesty in that. Played like ass, 
need to come back, still believe in the team. If I was in his shoes, it's exactly what I'd be saying. I'm not going to say that the sky's falling after two games. I'm not going to say that I don't believe in my teammates, my friends, my colleagues, my, 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 my brothers any longer. No, I'm going to say we're still a good team. We had two bad ones, and it's time to get it back. Let's go. Like, I, I respect that about him. And Eric, and that's and that's and that's what I said. I mean, not being part of the team, that's what I said off the top with us. Do you judge the team by the last two games? And to to your point, off the top, is the sky falling? Do you judge the team by the last two games, or the previous, you know, the previous fifty-seven, or you know, you know, which one? And I I depend on the bigger sample size. So I I, I think they're going to get it back. I just think. Uh, you know, a, a bit of a rough stretch. Uh, it coincides with the time after the break, maybe not getting cranked up. But, hey, man, they're not the only one. I mean, you look down, Milwaukee's lost two in a row. Uh, you know, some uh, some of the teams, how'd you like to be? I'm, I'm sitting in, in, a, in a hotel in midtown Manhattan. How'd you like to be the Knicks right now? Mm-hmm. You know, after last year, and everybody was heaping praise on them. And... You know, Julius Randle was most improved player, and and uh, you know, Tibbs, all the all the credit he got, and all of all the people, you know, worldwide West and Leon Rose, and on now, they're sitting in they're sitting in twelfth. They've lost five in a row, and people are calling for jobs here. I mean, that's you know that you you could be them if you're if you're Toronto and the the, the Raptors. Hey man, as Fred said, you know what the team's capable of doing. Let's get back at it. Let's find a way to get back to it. Now, to be fair, too, as well, uh, I, I said final bow. Sorry, Jonesy. I don't, I don't mean to make it sound like i got to have the final word. We could have wrapped it on you, but I should say, in fairness, too, for the Raptors, it's not just two losses in a row. It is four of the last five, and three of those four have been major blowouts because let's not forget they got absolutely hammered by the New Orleans Pelicans as well after losing an extremely tight one to the Denver Nuggets a couple of nights before that, losing basically at the buzzer. But speaking of the Pelicans, how about New Orleans and what they did to the Los Angeles Lakers? 123-95, beating L.A. by 28 in their joint. The Lakers have now lost two in a row, sit Six games below 500, the ninth seed in the Western Conference. And talk about sky is falling. It might be legit falling in Los Angeles. I'm not even calling for a guy's job. I'm simply just saying I'm shocked that my guy Frank Vogel still has a job because at some point they didn't make any trades. They haven't made any additions via the buyout market. Is it too late now to do the coach? What do you do? Because it's it's if it isn't unraveling, it's already unraveled in Los Angeles, and they're running out of time to try and get it right. As long as they can hold on to a spot, I still think that there's going to be a lot of teams saying, "Whoa, we don't want the Lakers in the postseason." But Jonesy, at this point, the Lakers are not the team that we thought they were or should be. I agree, Eric, and I don't think you do the coach at this point. Like you're 60 games, and you're going to be at best in the play-in what's the roster that he's working with right like did he, did frank vogel all of a sudden turn dumb um yeah he's got challenges on how to use people that's because he's trying to use them in a way that they haven't been used before um you know the whole russell westbrook thing i never thought it would work 
I shouldn't say that. I was skeptical because, you know, as, as my late father always said, people that are square don't always die round. And Russ has always had the ball in his hands. Uh, it'd be tough for him to become a role player. I mean, Carmelo Anthony adopted that, and, and you know, he's doing the best he can, but this this team just it doesn't fit right now. It doesn't fit. And I don't think you do the coach. You might look for a guy in the buyout. I agree with you. You're, they're still dangerous in the in the playoffs, but this is a this is a major overhaul in the offseason. That car comes into the pit, and you change everything about it before you send it out next year. Uh, it got so bad yesterday that for uh, the first time in a long time, and this doesn't happen very often, folks, the L.A. Lakers on their home floor getting booed booed mercilessly we see clips on on instagram on twitter you know google it right now folks you can find it yourselves russ and lebron and others getting into it with fans barking back at the fans in la like that you know it's getting ugly when stuff like that is happening after the ball game here's uh russell westbrook addressing the booing at home at crypto take it home for what i don't think about take it home man well i got three beautiful kids at my house my wife ain't taking it home they can take their boo and they can take their ass home. <laughs> I ain't worried about that. Doesn't bother me none, man. That's the part, and I'm not really worried about it um, at all. And that's how I deal with it. So I'm not, you know, I can it, it roll off my shoulder. I go home. But as for our team, I have to think it's something that you got to deal with and kind of move forward. So <laughs> again, I I appreciate the honesty there, Jonesy. And I, I think that's one thing that we sometimes, uh, whether it's fans, media, otherwise. I think that you've got to, especially as a vet, you've learned it. Maybe it would impact you more as a rookie, as a first, second-year player or something. But as a vet, you've got to hear it. You've got to feel it. But you also have to be able to let it go, let it wash away. You can't bring that home with you to your personal life, or you can't let it carry over to the next game. It can't feel good to be booed, but at the same time, you can't be going home, putting your feet up and trying to relax with your kids or, or bring it to the next game. Go, oh, I, I really hope I don't get booed again, right? Like You've got to be able to have thick skin and, and let that stuff just slide away, right? to you have to it uh, uh you know don't let don't let the praise get to your your head and don't let the criticism you know get to your heart like just let it go let it go you know and when you're playing great and people are telling you how good you are they thanks you know like yeah we're playing well or when they start criticizing is you know fred hey yeah uh, we played like we played like but like yeah i know it so we're going to try and do something about it and I'm sure guys, especially a guy like Westbrook, he's been a lightning rod all over. I mean, he's letting that go. I, I, I wonder how it is for LeBron, who has really never had that. He's, he's had criticism, but he's had it while having success. Yeah. And this kind of criticism now is coming while he's not doing well. So I just I wonder what his mindset is or, or how he takes it. I mean... The other guys have had that. A lot of the other guys have had that. They've been criticized when they're not playing well, and they l learn how to deal with it. Uh, I, I think this is a bit of a, uh, is a bit of a new, new, uh, new circle for LeBron. Okay, ordinarily I'd say this is a perfect time to segue into LeBron James, but instead I'm going to use that as a tease. We'll hear from LeBron later in the show because we will talk about the Lakers a little bit more later in the program so stay tuned for some comments from lebron james and more on the los angeles lakers but over the course of the weekend saturday sunday as well wasn't the nba but it was still basketball and important games were played for the canadian senior men's team as uh, they are right now in the midst of 
uh, World Cup qualifying. They had a couple of games back in November that they got victories over Bahamas and then a game on Saturday against Dominican Republic and yesterday against the Virgin Islands. Canada winning both games now 4-0 and and atop their pool right now in World Cup qualifying. We will discuss Team Canada and we'll get into some Raptor stuff as well with Javon Shepard next on Smith & Jones. Everything Raptors before and after the games. The Raptor Show with Will Liu. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Back on Smith & Jones, Eric Smith, Paul Jones with you. Subscribe to Smith & Jones wherever you get your podcast. Please rate and review as well. As I noted going into our last break, uh, as much as we were keeping our eye on the uh, Toronto Raptors over the course of the weekend with the losses on Friday and Saturday, Team Canada did the flip of that. Instead of going 0-2, they went 2-0. A victory over Dominican Republic on Saturday, 85-79 the final there. And then yesterday, a big-time, big-time blowout of the Virgin Islands, Canada leading by 50-plus at one point, And they go on to a monster victory, getting both victories uh, in uh, these two games. The next window comes late June, early July. Uh, but if you do the math already with Canada sitting atop at 4-0, and um, Canada has already basically punched their ticket to the next round of qualifying. You still want to go out and win those games in June, July. You still want to go out and show well. But Canada will be moving on either way to discuss those games. Uh, the man that I was working with on the weekend calling the action on Sportsnet. He joins us on the line right now, Javon Shepard. Shep, good to talk to you again. Thanks for having me, brother. Going on, youngster. Um, there he is. <laughs> hey, Javon, what stood out for you most from if we combine the two games? I mean, we could easily break them up uh, into into separate uh you know, separate showdowns because they were completely different games, especially when we factor in the free throw differential in that game on Saturday against the Dominicans. But overall, what impressed you about what we saw in those two games from Canada? The mental toughness and the depth, right? And then when you look at both games, like you said, that, that the R game was going to be tough, right? They're a team that's been, they're gritty. Um, their guards were going to get up into you. And their coach was extremely confident. confident. So, and I thought the R exuded that same confidence when they played on the floor, right? And, and I think it was a really good test for Canada because, one, um, you know, they'd walk through the, the, in the opening windows, uh, in the opening window, excuse me, and then in this game, however, you know, it was a test for Kyle Wilshire. He's going to be, you know, one of the feature players, and I think Diar did a good job early of getting him out of the game. And then you just, you've seen Canada grow. You've seen other guys step up. You've seen the depth of the team. And then, you know, obviously pulling out a win and, and matching their intensity, matching their all that adversity and that, that atmosphere that they're playing against, playing against the home team. Then you, you fast forward to the following day to back-to-back, and I mentioned it on the broadcast, for a lot of those guys, it's tough, right? They play in Europe. They probably play one game a week, maybe two if they're in, in International Cup. So mentally, physically, it's a little different to jump up and have to play again tomorrow against a team that you're probably supposed to beat, which they did. But again, just, just being able to, to shift the mind, get the job done and make sure you understand that it's a business trip. I thought, you know, that spoke volumes to uh, the team, the talent, depth, and how much everybody's bought in to not only just the coaching, but the, the, the agenda and the task at hand. Talk to me about the importance of having continuity. 
uh, with Nick's staff being there to kind of run things, how important that is for the whole system. I mean, and, and we've talked about this before. You and I, I want to get back to this. You have, may have guys who aren't even um, who aren't even part of the final, you know, World Cup or Olympic team, but they're here doing their stuff. But how important is the continuity? Huge, right? And I think we've seen it with, okay, Kenny Cherry was out with, in, with health and safety protocol. Now you have guys like Trey Bell Haynes who wasn't in the last window, but guess what? He was a part of the Olympic, quali- the Olympic qualifying team and went through that training camp. Um, and so there's some, some continuity with the system, the understanding of what the coach is looking for. Then you have Keza, John McKean, who jumps in, um, had been battling some injuries, but at the same time he's been around the program, understand, understands what it takes. So just to have that ability to plug and play with guys, um, there's no drop-off. And there's also, it, it, it reduces the amount of time that you, you take to uh, in training camp to, you know, show your systems and, 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 and introduce the schemes that you're going to be working with. You're pretty much just picking up where you left off and continuing to run from that. Uh, and I think that's important because, again, everybody's coming into camp at different times. Everybody's on a different schedule. There's so many other variables that you want to expedite that process of gaining cohesiveness and culture and just understanding what we're trying to do as a team because the focal point is going to be us. So if you have that continuity, that rollover, again, you're always just picking up from where you left off and guys understand each other's tendencies. They understand each other's you know, the nuances of, every, of the, the team, the team dynamic. So it's big time. It's huge. And I think just having that big pool of players having that depth and, and nurturing and fostering those players, which is, is going to be the responsibility of the coaches, of you know, the senior executives, Ron Baird and so forth, um, and just making sure everybody feels together, everybody feels like family is, and is on the same page because you're going to need everybody. Injuries happen. Um, you know, in this case, COVID isn't going anywhere, so health and safety protocols can, can happen at any point. So everybody has to feel like a family, and you're going to have to plug, plug and play and pick from that pool time after time again. Speaking with Javon Shepard, general manager and vice president of basketball operations for the Ottawa Blackjacks. Quick little shout out to that, the new, the new uh, promotion for <laughs> Shep. And, and we go through the resume here. I mean, I, I, I'm basically listing off your, you know, your, your qualifications for joining us. We'd have you on either way, but, you know, GM and VP, NBA analyst, FIBA analyst, former Canadian player, former NCAA player, former pro. I mean, I can't, I can't list it all, Javon. It's going to take too long. It'll take up our entire segment. I want you, though, to speak to what you were just discussing there uh, about just the, the continuity and the program in general, Javon. Maybe you can share with the audience as well. And uh, Jonesy, I, I don't know if you knew this or not. Maybe you do because you're on the board with Canada Basketball. But when, when Shep told me this yesterday, I didn't even realize the fact that even the travel and the way that uh, from from Michael Bartlett to Rowan Barrett to, to Nick Nurse and everybody from management to coaching staff, the way they're running the program now, Javon, is um, different than what it's ever been in terms of the the approach for all of the players. You talked about the planes and whatnot. I think you know what I'm talking about here, but maybe you can share yeah. that with the audience. Well, okay, one, the resources have changed. The mentality has shift, shifted, and I think that's a big credit to Michael Bartlett in coming in with his vision of inclusiveness. And, you know, I, I laughed because I had a conversation with Keza and asked him about, you know, what are some of the things that have changed? Because we, we played together, and the first thing he said to me was, look, I, jumped, I got on the plane from Charlotte to DR, and I was looking around once I got onto the, on board. Where is everybody else? At that point is when he realized they're chartering um, from Charlotte, from training where they had training camp, 
uh, to the Dominican Republic. And we kind of laughed at that. And I, I said, I'm, I'm going to be seeking reparations because my back is still in shambles from four or five of us stuck in middle roads um, traveling. But I think even something as simple as that, it, it, it's important, right? And, and Michael Bartlett's been very vocal in terms of, you know, the experience that our Windows guys have should be no different than the experience of the, the NBA guys because it's, it's one family at the end of the day. So something as simple as that message there and, and having that convey and expressed and shared between the groups is huge. Um, the the training centers have pays dividends because guys are able to come in in the summer and work on their games and not have to stress about, you know, where am I going to find a gym when I come back home to Canada? It's there for you, and trainers are there for you. The medical staff, um, you know, the sports sciences, everything is now being invested. And I think that all starts, and I mentioned it yesterday, is just not only these guys are going to do their part. You know, they're going to train, they're going to commit. They do it for their own respective professional careers. Doing it for the national team is going to be no different, right? But the, the resources that we have to, to give them and invest in them, that has to increase, right? And, and that's a corporate understanding and buying into sport and what sport does for our country it unifies it. And I think it's so important, especially in this time, uh, to take note of that because you, there's some heavy times in this world, right, and, and very separated. And, and this is a way for us to unify, come together. And I think just investing in sport and our country sharing this together is, is important. Javon, that's a, that's a, that makes a huge difference, doesn't it, when you think about it? Because it's, uh, I mean, you know, it's always been a fight, it's always been, and, and I know when I joined the board, uh, Brian Cooper, the chair of the board, Michael Bartlett, and all the people on the board, like, have kind of, we put this commitment together. And I've always said this from long before you were, you were even uh, a kid thinking about the national team, Javon. There's only one country in the world that should be beating us consistently, and that's the U.S. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and it's because of their pool and what they have. We have the talent. Uh, it's just about the resources and, and doing things properly. And I really feel by, you know, when I joined the board and I was asked to be part of it and all of the stuff that Cooper and Bartlett and, and people have, you know, committed to going forward, I, I, I think this is a great time for, for Canada. And, and, you know, with all the, the, the good coaching and everything, Javon, you've seen this too. You've got to feel that we're in a good spot. Great spot, you know, a great spot. And I'm always asked if this is the golden era, and I think, no, I think this is, we're just laying the foundation. You're not in the golden era until you, you, you have a gold medal. And, and that, that, to me, is the, goal, is the golden era. But at the same time, when you look at the foundation, the players that are there and the, the, the coaches that are, you know, globally now, like we're growing in that aspect too. And I think that's a component that's often overlooked because without those coaches and the successes that they've had, we also don't have the players that we have today because, those are the same coaches that shared their knowledge, invested in these kids, and, and helped them grow and blossom into the players that they are. Right now, you have a number of NBA coaches. Nathaniel Mitchell, who was on the, was an assistant coach with, within the windows as well as uh, with the with the senior men's and um, Roy Rana coaching. You know, he, he coaches abroad. He had his time with the national team in the NBA with Sacramento as well. Jay Triano, Leo Routens, all these coaches um, played a big part, and we, we just continue to grow in that sense. Speaking with Javon Shepard, uh, Javon, I want to tap into at least partly, you know, again, your, your, your other role, one of 19 different roles you seem to have as GM <laughs> and VP of basketball operations for the Blackjacks uh, of the CEBL. One of the things we talked about on the broadcast on the weekend, 
not only the number of OUA CIS players that played for Canada, but also the number of players with CEBL experience that were on that roster or that are on this roster for the Canadians. And that just speaks to the depth of the players that this country has, let alone the depth that these leagues like the CEBL are showing with the type of talent that are now playing even in their home country. Right. You know, 16 of the 24 named to the training camp roster has CEBL experience. And it's seven of the final 10 roster spots played in the CUBL already. That's 70% of your, of your senior men's national team um, came from this league as well. And I think a big, you know, the big thing there is that now we have our own domestic league to develop our own craft, our own help, our own and support our own, which we've never had before. So that's also going to be a huge part in the growth of the game as well, because that's an added component now where we can develop. Um, and we've had success even without it. So imagine now you add one more one more component into it um, where guys can come out, they can compete, they can train, they can get better, and they also get the exposure that they wouldn't ne- never necessarily had, right? And I always speak about Chad Postelman. Um He played on my Ottawa Blackjacks team last summer, played two games, a guy that was sitting on his couch, but came in and did, did what he was supposed to do, handled his business, and, you know, he's seen, you know, really put his name on the map just off of two games, and without the CEBL, he wouldn't have had the opportunity. He was one of those 16 guys named to the training camp roster, right? A guy that was sitting home a couple of days mm-hmm. ago. And then you have, you have, you know, the, ex- the exposure across the waters where guys are getting jobs as well. The timing of the league is important because at that point, there's no other league, no other reputable leagues that have the caliber of players playing at that time and uh, outside of the NBA summer league. So, these guys are going to be at the, at the front of GM's minds or they're going to be on showcasing the talents to other teams or the GM's other opportunities that are going to come from it. Um, and we've seen it. Xavier Moon, um, Cat Barber, uh, a number of guys that end up going from the CBL, getting to um, some, getting some G League opportunities. And, you know, just so happened this year, the 10-day hardships, got those guys, those same guys got call-ups. Right now, without that league, are they in that position? Without the CBL, are they in the position? No, right, um, and, and probably not. So, uh, there's going to be a, a number of opportunities for for everybody. And I can speak to it myself, being in the position now, VP and general manager. Just think about the opportunities for these guys after basketball as well, right? To just continue to stay in the sport. Again, an opportunity that we've never had before. So, I think we're growing from every angle, every aspect, not just the players, but from a, a front office standpoint, broadcast standpoint, and just it's great for now we're starting to build a culture, and, and that's what was missing before, building a culture. Javon, great stuff, man. Appreciate the time, and uh, we'll look forward to seeing you down at uh, Scotiabank Arena. All the best, man. Sounds good. Appreciate you for having me. There is Javon Shepard. Uh, again, uh, he was working the broadcast with me on Sportsnet over the last couple of days with Canada getting victories over Dominican Republic and Virgin Islands now 4-0 and in World Cup qualifying. The next window for Canada coming late June, early July, and there's actually rumblings that those two games may be on Canadian soil. This window, Saturday, Sunday, was supposed to be in Canada. COVID changed all of that, so maybe, just maybe, FIBA does Canada right and gives them those two games in the summertime. But again, nothing confirmed there. Hopefully that does go down. Uh, Subscribe to Smith & Jones wherever you get your podcasts. Please rate and review as well.